I mean, we actually like swimming, but we feel like to own a pool and only, we're, we're, how often are you going to use it? Twice a week, three times a week, right? We can just go to the wide and use it. However, that answer has needs to be revised in the coronavirus time period because none of us have swum in, in ages. And I'm looking at my friend that actually has a pool with envy at this point. Welcome to the Medical Dads Podcast, a parenting podcast by two dads who happen to be medical doctors. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician and father of four from Ottawa, Ontario. I want to be in the podcast. Daddy, do you know what you're doing? Can I play a game on your computer? Daddy, where's mommy? And I'm your other co-host, Dr. David Shu, a family doctor from Toronto, Ontario. Welcome aboard. All right, Dr. Harmon, we're back for another episode of Medical Dads. Yes, we are. Have a little bit of a sense of uh, deja vu. Oh, indeed, indeed. Tonight, we're going to be talking about part two of outdoor play because we had so much we wanted to talk about last week that we couldn't get to because we got so carried away talking about the sun and the evils of sun exposure and sunscreen. Yeah, I mean, pretty much like all of our podcasts, we got carried away and sidetracked. But uh, for some reason this time, we're actually going <laughs> to tackle the topic again. Yes, because I have so much content that we need to cover about outdoor play that we didn't get to. All right. Well, yeah, get us started. So we've had a little bit of a situation change since the last episode. Like my children's outdoor play pattern has changed a little bit because... Last week, I came outside one morning and then I saw one of my friends that lives across the street was throwing out his basketball net because his ch- his son has gotten old enough to graduate to a full-size hoop. Okay. And I already have a full-size hoop. It's down on the near the end of my driveway. Uh-huh. But during coronavirus, I have not been playing for fear that I might bounce the ball on other people's respiratory droplets and bring the virus home. <laughs> so Are you joking me? <laughs> You've been afraid to play basketball in your own driveway for fear that the ball would get contaminated. Not my driveway. The The hoop is right at the end of the driveway. So it's hovering right near the sidewalk. So there are people walking by all day long. (laughs) (laughs) Did I tell you about the time I saw uh, two kids walking down the street uh, towards the basketball court that's in our neighborhood during coronavirus? And one of them was bouncing and dribbling the ball, but wearing blue plastic rubber gloves. (laughs) <laughs> great he's probably still alive and the other kid is probably long gone yeah because I'm, I'm sure that in a game of basketball those gloves were the things that made the difference <laughs> well exactly for numerous reasons but i just have not been playing but it's just if there are people walking by sneezing and coughing i don't really want my kids touching the ball on the front of the driveway okay that that's the story right yeah but I see that my friend is throwing out like a little kitty basketball net. It's still pretty tall. It goes up to like six feet, right? Yeah. And he, it's just lying on the side of the road. So he sees me. I'm like, yo, yo, like, uh, are you throwing that out? <laughs> right? <laughs> and so next thing you know, this thing is now in my backyard. Nice. And the kids love it. So we've, we've moved it to the back because the backyard and the front yard are fundamentally different in terms of safety levels of coronavirus exposure. So how long did you make that thing sit to decontaminate before you brought it to the backyard to, to let <laughs> three days, three 72 days. hours. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And it rained in between and stuff. So it was good. The thing is clean. We're able to have a nice clean game, but it's actually quite nice having it in the patio. Cause now I don't have to worry about it. Like 
the front yard is a tricky thing to do with basketball because my children are small. Every two seconds, the ball will be on the road, right? Yeah. So they can't even go out to the front yard and shoot on their own, even without coronavirus. Yeah. Right? Because like our driveway is a slant and then the ball will just funnel down the street. Right. Right. So now in the backyard, our patio isn't that large, but for a six foot hoop, it's perfect, right? You have it in the corner of the little deck. They can shoot whenever they want. When I'm making breakfast, I can keep one eye on them while they're outside. It's yeah. great. So... I mean, that's what's happening at our house with outdoor play. Like we've, we're moving everything to the backyard. Front yard is completely off limits. And who knows? Maybe we'll put a full-size hoop back there someday if this virus drags on long enough. Well, not, not so much out of concern that uh, my kids will get hit by a stray corona particle. Uh, but uh, for other reasons, I do generally tend to prefer my kids playing in the backyard when I'm not able to kind of keep an eye on them compared mm -hmm. to the to the front yard. Uh, I've thought about the idea of getting a basketball hoop, but for the age of my kids, especially the youngest, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I do worry a bit about that ball rolling into the street. And we get a right. fair bit of traffic on my road and people aren't necessarily right. slowing down. Is your driveway flat or is it also one of these slanty things? It's, it's slanted. It's yeah. I don't know that many people whose driveway is truly flat. Like I think yeah, there's so a design reason why they don't make driveways. Yeah, yeah, flow of water and all that stuff. But I am I am a bit of a basketball net driveway connoisseur. So I will tell you that ideally you don't need it to be completely flat. But if you have just like a slight grade of like a, like a very slight one degree, two degree, yeah. then that's adequate. That was the, the house that I went that I lived in with my parents when we were in high school yeah. is like that. And so it's per pretty much perfect. You can shoot from pretty much anywhere on the court and still feel like the height is the same. Like the house I live in now, one side of the basket's like three feet like higher than the other side. So depends on if you want to shoot on an eleven foot basket or an eight foot basket. It's like it's a bit of a mess. Yeah, I I do remember you and I shooting hoops at your parents' place uh, back in the day when we were in med school. That is true. That is true. But I mean, I find like front yard in general, just for various reasons, like the cars outside yeah. are you. It's rather unpredictable. Like even if we're not talking about running on the street to chase a basketball, if the kids end up having to go on the street for anything, sometimes I'll see a sports car rev by, right? And I'm living like not on a big street, right? You'd think it would be okay, but I think some of these sports car dudes think it's okay for them to rip the engine because there's no one going to be on the street. Yeah. So front yard is always a little bit dicier than backyard. Front yard's just a bit more of a commitment from us as parents that now we're going to be out there more playing with them, more directly observing them. Yeah. Uh, uh, backyard is much easier to just throw them in the backyard. Now, if you're thinking about getting a hoop for your kids, though, what I would say is you don't need to get a full-sized hoop until they're much older. Like, I didn't really re appreciate this, but the small six-foot, seven-foot hoop with, like, a mini ball is perfectly adequate when the kids are smaller. And it'll be much more easier for you to maneuver it. Well, could they? do they actually play... I mean, I guess your kids aren't old enough to, to have a game where they're going to be dribbling well, they the can ball. Sh right. They can shoot at it and they can dribble, right? And actually a full-size ball is too heavy for them to do anything with. Yeah. So you end up having to use like mini balls. And especially for my son, because he's like not quite four, even the mini ball is still kind of hefty. Yeah. So for them, if you can get them just like a bouncy ball, that will serve the purpose better because it's easier for them to dribble outside and he can shoot it because it's light. You have a patio or something in your backyard, is that right? 
Yeah, it's like an interlocking bricks. Okay. So it works okay for this purpose. See, we, we don't have any uh, any landscaping in the backyard as such. So we don't have a patio or a hard surface or a, or a deck. Mm-hmm. Um, so our, the play structure we have in the backyard, uh, which we got off Kijiji, does have built into it a plastic backboard and, uh, and basket-shaped hoop. So mm-hmm. the kids can sort of throw stuff in it. But because they can't dribble on the grass... <laughs> It really has not led to them doing a whole lot of actual basketball, even for the older kids. Ah, they're missing out. They're missing out. But we will talk more about basketball on this episode, potentially, if we can make it that far. <laughs> One day we could talk about landscaping and doing up backyards, but it's yes. on the it's on But the I list. won't be the host of that episode because I know nothing about outdoor work. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is that landscaping in the backyard is expensive. And it's always on our list of like, oh, yeah, yeah, when, we, when we've saved up enough, that'll be one of our projects. Well, let's put it this way. I just found out yesterday when, from my yard guy, he came because our fence is falling apart. I, we just put up this fence like, like four summers ago. I'm thinking it's three or four summers ago. Yeah. And we realized it's starting to split. Like some of the, some of the pieces are, are cracking uh-huh. and one part, the nails have come out and he needs to reattach it. Yeah. And I'm like, is there anything? And he's looking at the wood and he's like, you know, you should have stained this. And I'm like, yeah, we talked about staining it with him like a few years ago. And we, then it's such an ordeal to do these outdoor tasks. Cause I can't just agree to it because I have to get my neighbor on board and my yes. other neighbor on board and the back neighbor. And once everyone is on board, five years have passed. Right? right. And now he's like, it's too late to stain. The wood has already absorbed so much moisture and then dried out and absorbed more moisture and dried out. It's just going to crack now. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, that's what he told me. And I got, I was like, what? I wasted all this money on the fence and we didn't, fence proof it blah blah blah. i come in and i start thinking about i'm like wait a minute like this wood is treated wood it's treated it shouldn't be that difficult it shouldn't be that easy for the wood to split right yeah no so i mean i the reason we didn't want to like bother with the staining was a i was tired of being the guy going around trying to beg everyone else to chip in yeah and then b someone told me and then i looked it up online said that you don't need to stain it if it's treated wood the stain all it does is it changes the color so if you care about the color (laughs) you can stain it right so now i'm like like when it comes to this home stuff i find like like my guy, me, the internet, everyone's giving different opinions at the end of the day, right? Probably all of them are false and it doesn't really matter because eventually the fence is just going to break anyway. So did you end up uh, like agreeing with all your neighbors about the fencing situation or do you have one guy who's got basically a free fence because you put it up uh, where he stalled and he's <laughs> oh got my. like three other pieces of fencing that don't match because he just waits for those neighbors to put up a fence? So is it that obvious that we paid for the fence for some people <laughs> on our uh, on one of our neighbors <laughs> that you can see that chump written right on my forehead from over there? Well, you can always tell which uh, which person in the in the block uh, didn't negotiate <laughs> with the neighbors or go halvesies <laughs> because they've got three different sidings of fence that don't match. Well, th- that's one of the things. Like, actually, we have one neighbor that we really like. They're pretty elderly, and so we get along with them. We're just like. They were, we were okay, like getting them to chipping in for their side of the fence. Yeah. And then our neighbor on the back is like super cooperative. So they're not an issue either. Yeah. It's just this third group. <laughs> There's this other side. <laughs> then they're always been like making it difficult. Like for, initially when I said, I'm going to put up the fence and I've already got the other two groups to agree. Yeah. They were like, 
we're okay. We don't need to put it up. I, I like I, there was a fence between us and them, but it was falling apart. He said, "Don't worry, my son will fix it." Right? <laughs> then we go to actually the builder starts building the other two sides because I was just like, "Screw it!" Like we're gonna get this guy to build the other two sides. In the middle of the construction, he runs out and is like, makes a deal to build a fence on that side without asking. Oh, gosh. Me, right? But he only agrees to it if the fence is super short. Right. So everywhere else, I got these like eight foot fence and then his side, six foot fence. Like even me, I can see over the thing. I can see everything that's going on in their backyard. My wife and I are looking at it like we're paying for like half a fence here. <laughs> kind of defeats the purpose of a fence unless it was just intended to keep sheep in or something. <laughs> so now we have the backup plan, but don't tell anybody about it. the backup plan. We, we're getting a row of cedars. We've been oh, we've yeah. been we've been whispering about getting a row of cedars for a few years now. <laughs> Well, you know, there actually is the expression, uh, good fences make good neighbors. <laughs> yeah. What's the, what, what happens with bad neighbors making bad fences? I think that's the expression we're looking for. Well, you know, how all this ties into to children and medical dads and outdoor play is that, uh, you know, having those fences is a bit of a necessity if you want to be able to put your kids in the backyard without having to worry that they're wandering off. Mm -hmm. I remember when we got our house, it didn't come with fencing. Uh, and that was something that we really wanted that fence up really quickly. And we had to negotiate with uh, this sort of issue of a bunch of neighbors all wanting to get a fence at the same time. So, of course, uh, me and my neighbor on one side want to agree on a fence that we like, but then he wants that fence to match with the one on his other side, so he's got to get his other neighbor to agree. And that went, to, I think, three or four houses deep. We all had to agree so that no one was stuck with mismatching fencing. Why does it have to go three, four houses down? I guess because everyone wants every side to match. That's right. Nobody wants to be the transition house in the middle. It's <laughs> like, you know, these guys wanted PVC and that guy wanted chain link. Uh, so, wow. Yeah. I so, had never even thought about that, trying to get that much people on board with something. Yeah. Uh, but actually, I never. you know why I didn't think about that? Because actually my fence, originally the three sides looked different. Oh, you started <laughs> with the Frankenstein fencing situation. Well, my the people like, my backyard like the people facing my back fence yeah they wanted the fence to be really open so they just wanted like these two pieces of wood and then like and then like look with the occasional like uh what are those long ones uh, the vertical ones yeah. so you can see through the fence it really is literally a, a fence that a sheep herder would use yeah. right they like that open look which is fine yeah. but when we moved in that was the look we had so i never even thought about matching the three sides okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> I guess those cedars will come in handy then. <laughs> oh, they will. They will. Well, our fencing experience involved, you know, one neighbor who wanted us to all to pitch in together and build fences, like buy some wood and then build fences because he had experience doing it. And, uh, you know, I think the guy actually was quite skilled and would be quite capable. I, I don't know how much I trusted myself uh, to be <laughs> able to truly put in some straight posts, but if we had gone his route, we probably wouldn't have regretted it too much. But then another person, the person at the very end, wanted... Uh, wanted PVC fencing, was very anti-wood fencing. Um, and then uh, we just wanted it done quickly. So everybody sort of agreed to just, okay, we just want it done quickly. We all go with this PVC fencing. And then it leads to the situation where we got to choose the company that's going to put in the fencing. And again, we just want it fast with minimal <laughs> hassle and the least amount of like debate or argument with other people. Uh, and this story ends with this fly-by-night fencing company uh, that disappeared by the next summer that got the job done just 
barely, and uh, <laughs> at the expense of other jobs where I'm sure there's some other people who work with this company who never got their fences put. And uh, to top it all off, when the guy comes to like collect the bill, he asked my wife if I'm home and if it's possible that I could write a prescription for painkillers for his wife. <laughs> so, I mean, I find fa- fence building to be this strange, like, social, like, ritual that homeowners go through that really tells us a lot about the state of the world we live in. Yeah. Like, see how difficult it is to get, like, four families on a page to build a fence? Like, how on earth is, like, government supposed to work? That's like, no right. wonder there's race riots everywhere, right? No wonder there's, like, like incarceration worldwide and, like, I don't know, like, what all this garbage going on in the news, right? People cannot even agree to put a few posts up right we just want a barrier between our house and the neighbor so our kids don't run the other side that's it right and just get it done for the cheapest possible like i think we can all agree we all want it done as cheaply as possible like what else is there to argue about well at the end of the day four four households much like four political parties did manage to to get this done with a compromise from everybody so it was put up the canadian way (laughs) so I, I have a question though. What is this PVC business? Is this can this salvage my wooden rotting wooden fence or what? So PVC is a fancy name for this special kind of like vinyl plastic. Yeah, um, and it'll, it'll, it sounds like it'll last forever. When I hear the word plastic, I'm thinking lasting forever, but doesn't look as nice or something. Uh, that is definitely the trade off. Is that it just doesn't look quite as nice as an as an awesome, like well constructed brand new wooden fence. Uh, but then a well-constructed brand new wooden fence two years later does not look as good as a PVC fence. <laughs> well, not even mention an unstained, <laughs> poorly constructed by Chinese labor wooden fence five years later. That's what I'm looking at every day. Now, the PVC itself is, uh, is borderline indestructible, right? That stuff is not going to biodegrade. That stuff's going to be on this earth, you know. <laughs> when a whole other species rises to inherit it. From Which it. is probably the problem. <laughs> but the thing is, although the material itself is, is everlasting, the, that doesn't mean the fence itself is indestructible and everlasting. <laughs> so I've already got this fence with like some panels crooked and bent because you know, if the posts are in the ground, but then the ground shifts, then you still have a bent fence. Right, right. But, but it doesn't wear down. The way when we bought the house, it did come with a back fence, that's a common back fence that's made of wood. It's just the sides we had to build. Um, and the back fence is made of wood. And I've already had to like nail in new slats to that fence and, <laughs> and reconstruct it. So there's probably people listening who are like, why are these two yahoos talking about a fence endlessly? Like I tuned in to listen to outdoor play. And now I just hear two dads like complaining about their fence situations. But... I think it's because of coronavirus. Like right now we're in this mindset where the only kind of outdoor play that exists is the backyard, right? Our brain is so narrowly focused that we have to only talk about the backyard and maybe the front yard to some degree because there's no other outdoor play until like last week, the city allowed some outdoor play. I don't know if you've been taking your kids out, but I have not. Uh, I haven't really been taking them out to places. We've been doing bike rides and we've been Mm -hmm. doing walks. But uh, playgrounds, I think we are allowed back into playgrounds now, are we not? Um, I walked by a playground like two days ago and it still has the yellow tape, 
right? As if a dead body had been found there earlier. <laughs> that that whole look is still in, right? right? But but they have put like basketball nets back up. Like they had taken down the rims and nets at a lot of the at a lot of the parks, and those are back. Okay. Well, I mean, I yeah. imagine the tape is probably still there because the city is not right now looking into the budget to say okay. How much do we have to get the tape removal guy to go to every park and remove the tape? <laughs> I think a lot of that tape was put up not by the city or the province, but just by parents who were getting annoyed that some people were not respecting the distancing guidelines and just decided to tape it off themselves. So let's delve in a bit into this like alternate universe where if we could go to a playground, yeah. like what is some playground stuff that you find that your kids are really into? And as a medical dad, like what are the things that parents should be looking out for that they should be avoiding at playgrounds? Like what is the good and bad of playgrounds? Well, I guess if you're a, you're a real uh, playground connoisseur or a, a sommelier for playgrounds, <laughs> the first thing you'd want to do is sample the ground. And by that, I mean, is it a sand playground <laughs> or is it wood chips or is it cut up rubber? which should all be sort of acceptable recommendations from the Canadian Pediatric Society. Or is it old school? Is it like asphalt uh, or <laughs> cement, which those still do exist in some places? Well, there are. there's another kind of playground I've seen, like a newer playground I once once went to in a newer part of Toronto, mm-hmm. where the, the floor was all like heavy plastic, rubbery, like slabs. So the whole thing, it wasn't like chips. They were like pieces. Okay. Right, they look they look like giant like concrete cement sidewalk slabs, but they're actually a little bit soft. Were they like uh, springy and rubbery almost when you walk? Yeah, on? they're a little bit springy, yeah. right? And I saw a child fall that day <laughs> from like the monkey bars, bang his head, like probably from a six foot distance, yeah. right? And I was like, man, this material is a little harder than I would like for this type of fall, you know. Well, how did the kid do? Did he bounce right back? Or was it one of those situations where you kind of backed away slowly before anybody asked if there was a doctor around? No, no, The grandparents, like, were, like, they had this look of horror on their face. They grabbed the kid and, like, shuffled him off. Like, it it may very well have been a kidnapping for for how quickly they were moving. Well, I'm not sure if I know the exact type of playground material you're talking about, but I I think it's this thing that I experienced for the first time when I was in England a, a few years, actually. I was at a big playground there and was very impressed by... By this stuff that, uh, yeah, kind of looked like almost like mats, but uh, mm-hmm. but it was really springy. Like when you when you're running around it, you're like, oh wow, this this is way softer than it looks like it would be. Right. Is that is that kind of the the material was like that you saw? Uh, yeah, I sim something similar to that. But my take on them was that this is a little bit harder than I would like it to be if a kid's gonna get hurt. Whereas I always feel like sand, right, or dirt, those actually absorb a lot of stuff. Yeah, well, I you know I think these mat things are actually designed to be pretty shock absorbent. So mm-hmm. those like falls are probably uh, probably safer than it looks from the way the material looks on the outside. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to slide across one of those mats. Right. You know, it's right. Like it would scrape you up. So that's their first thing is to look at the ground yeah, and identify how safe the playground is from that standpoint. Well, part of it is safety. So. Yeah, if it's if it's not something like these absorbent mats or or the wood chips or the the foam bits or the or the sand, then you might want to have second thoughts about uh, like how much unsupervised time your kids are going to have at that playground. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, then there's also just the practical side to deciding. You know, if you have a choice, like for example, in my neighborhood, there's two parks I could walk to easily uh, with my kids. One of them has a sand playground, and the other one has these wood chips. 
uh, is you're also considering, okay, do I want to deal with sand today in shoes and pants and everywhere else? Uh, Or would I rather deal with the wood chips? (laughs) I generally don't really mind the sand part, right? Or the wood chips. To me, either of those is probably okay. It's just when it's wet that this becomes a huge problem. <laughs> like it rained the night before, so you kind of show up at this playground. It's kind of playable, but you're like, there's a few puddles. This is going to get messy. That is the part that drives me nuts. Yeah. Um, well, I'm not a big fan of pinworms. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and if you're playing in the sand, then uh, that's that's one of the risks you're taking. Oh, man. My wife just said, because of this coronavirus she's yeah. like why don't we buy some sand for our backyard i'm like to do what i'll make us we'll make a sand pile they can play in it and now you have just given me some good rationale to go back upstairs with well no uh now it's not that sand is inherently going to be full of pinworms but uh, you know in these public parks where people bring their their pets and their dogs uh oh, okay that's where the problem is uh, it actually makes me pretty like uh, I get pretty steamed when I see people with dogs bring the dogs into like the actual playground part where the sand is, where the kids are playing and the dogs are digging right. around in there uh, huh. because it really that's that's where these pinworms are coming from. Dogs poop in the sand. Uh, the pinworms get in the poop. The poop may wash away, disintegrate, dissolve, whatever in the rain. But the pinworm like over uh, like persist and kids play in the sandbox to get it sand on their hands. They touch their mouth. Uh, next thing you know, your kids complain that their butt's itchy at night. You go in there with a flashlight and are horrified Man, to see these little white stringy things. I had never thought this about playgrounds. I don't even know if we should continue doing the episode because if you if this is what it's all going to be, my kids are never going outside again. Oh, there's plenty more other fun things to do outside that I can wreck by telling you stories about <laughs> what I've seen in the emergency department. Well, what I wanted to talk about specifically the playgrounds, other than the whole pinworm angle is is it possible for playgrounds to be too safe because we touched on this just now like we'd like to know that they're not going to get scraped up too badly and they're not going to get hurt right but part of playing in a playground is being exposed to some levels of controlled danger right like it's more like for them to learn how to like climb with their arms like indiana jones style across like like a like a jump or something yeah right like that only makes it worthwhile doing if there is a gap between them and the ground, right? right? If there's a net under them and they can do it, it's like, it's no big deal. Like it's not, they're not overcoming fear. They're not learning much. Like there's this element of danger that has to exist in the playground, I feel, right? But at the same time, I understand no one wants their child to get hurt. And if you do get hurt on a playground, then, y- you know, you look like an idiot as a parent <laughs> and your child is the worst for it. And so where's that, where's that balancing act for you as a parent? Well, I, I think what you're saying is very true. Uh, it's very important for their to build their self-confidence, for their development, and just for them to develop fun memories, for them to do activities that have some like risk inherent in them. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, these things on a playground, uh, it is exceedingly, exceedingly rare for me to see a child come in like with a significant brain injury uh, that's life-threatening from playing at the playground. Uh, right. I, I can't think of a single child I know of in all my experience in from medical students, medical school all the way up until now, I can't think of a single child who died uh, at, at a playground. 
I know kids who've had injuries from backyard things that actually had horrible outcomes, but but actually died at a playground. I, don't, I haven't seen that. Not that it couldn't happen, but I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Where, but what, I mean, what you do see is like uh, some pretty unpleasant broken bones and fractures and some lacerations. But at the end of the day, those things can be repaired. You know, you may be right. out for six weeks in a cast. But these these things, even the broken bones that I have to sedate in the emergency department while orthopedics like uh, puts the bone back in place and whatnot, uh, those things you don't die from those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, when I go to the playground, my kind of approach is, you know, I don't want to have to spend uh, you know a night in the emergency department, and I don't want to have to deal <laughs> with my kid being in a cast for four to six weeks. Absolutely not. Yeah. So um, you know, I try to. Uh, keep a bit of an eye on things that are obviously going to lead to that happening. Uh, but uh, at the same time, I do try to sort of swallow some of that maybe additional fear I have because of what I see at work, uh, enough to let my kids climb and swing and right. you know, use the monkey bars. Right. I think that's a good way to think about it because, I mean, I've seen some of those too, right? Not, I haven't seen anyone die in a playground either, but I've seen a couple of kids get concussions, right? Like right. They, a lot of those happen when they're attempting to do something that's clearly beyond their ability, right? Yeah. Or they're misusing the playground equipment in a, in a way that they think is fun. But, yeah. you know, like, let's start climbing up this twisty slide while other kids are coming down it, right? Like yeah. you're just inviting trouble. So a lot of those things, I feel like parents can mitigate the risk just by being around and, yeah. you know, offering 25 cents of like advice at the opportune moment. But I think it's when your kids are unsupervised in the playground, you're really distracted or something. And then they're really doing something the way it's not supposed to be used, jumping way further than they're capable of. That's when the bigger problems start to happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of an episode of that TV show Family Guy where the kid's at the playground and something unfortunate happens. I think maybe his bike gets stolen or he gets hurt. And the mother's saying like, oh, my gosh. And it happened during the only two seconds I looked at my phone for the entire time I was here (laughs) or something to that effect. Well, this whole playground safety thing, it came up in Toronto. I mean, it's come up probably in many cities around the world where they're building playgrounds for kids and you get groups of people with different ideas on how to construct the thing. So in Toronto, they put up a new playground that a lot of families then rode into the Toronto Star and said, you know what, this playground is too easy. It's too safe. There's nothing for children to do, right? They're, they're no higher than like six inches off the ground at any point. And there's nothing there to test their physical ability, Right. And so I feel like sometimes that pendulum can swing too far to the side of the safety. Yeah. Right. And it it probably isn't really the playground's role to be built in a way that's completely safe. Like, I feel like that's where the parent should come in or whoever's supervising should come in and be monitoring the children. Like there's a reason certain parts of the playground are for four year olds and certain parts are for eight year olds. Like they have rules for these kind of things. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. You know, I think that's really like one key piece of advice is, you know, the playground will tell you what age kids are supposed to be at in certain areas. And you should try to respect those, those, uh, those limits, mm-hmm. you know, or if it's a day where the, the playground's empty and there are no bigger kids around, you may let your, your sort of three or four year old climb a bit on the part of the structure that's, that's designated as for kids five to 12. Um, mm-hmm. but that should be with you, you know, quite close by. Um, mm-hmm. But in general, the idea of saying like, oh, yeah, I brought the kids to the to the park and, 
you know, I just had to look at my phone for two seconds for three hours. Um, <laughs> and during that time, your kid's wandering off and playing on the big kid part of the park where big kids are knocking them over and stuff. Right. You know, like, those are the type of things. I, I am that dad at the park saying to my kids, like, no, no, only down on the slide. Up the ladder, <laughs> down the slide. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, I think we kind of hit the, the salient features of the playground that, you know, as medical dads, we acknowledge that kids have to take a bit of risk to enjoy the and, and enjoy themselves at the playgrounds but you know but there are some risks and it's not a bad idea to, to to pay attention that you should make sure that the kids are on the equipment that's age appropriate for them um that you should make sure that you got a playground that has like appropriate uh like ground material for the for the kids age um although we were talking about pinworms uh like sand is fine but if you actually see that there it's a park where dogs are like <laughs> running around in the park or you see animal feces on the ground then yeah that should give you some pause so those are those are the <laughs> big features but you know the other thing about parks that's just kind of interesting you know, we're talking about playground equipment uh the thing kids love that you see less and less at parks is the the merry-go-round right you know yeah. it, it, it's yeah. only in older parks do you see these things where it's like a big flat metal disc with the bars on it that the kids can like spin i'm I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that. I was just watching a YouTube video where these people were making like a short film uh, and they couldn't find a merry-go-round. So they had to build it just as a set piece because they had a scene that they had to sit the two characters on. And it didn't occur to me, but now that you mention it, yeah, you're right. These things don't really exist. There's probably a safety issue with them, I imagine. Oh, yeah. I mean, like anyone who, who had one of these, access to one of these things when they were a kid definitely has memories of, of course... The thing's only exciting when someone spins it faster and faster and faster. And then kids go <laughs> flying off and skidding across the ground. Well, have you seen the 2020 modern day version of this toy? Yes. Which is that instead of spinning, like you're on like a boat and it can sway forward and back like six inches each way. And if you try really hard, you can sway it a little. That's it. Like that's fun for 2020, right? Who, who says we're making the world too safe for children? Well, actually, when you said the 2020 version, I thought you were talking about something different because we have a, a relatively newly constructed park uh, halfway between my house and my mother's house. Okay. And this park has sort of a, a new take on a merry-go-round where it's got a pole in the middle and then spokes coming out from the pole that attach to a, a circular seat that goes all the way around this thing. So imagine mm. like a big, almost like tire or, or flat donut uh, with a pole that goes to the middle uh, that it can spin around. Okay. Yeah. So the kids can actually sit on this thing. And when they sit on it, they're about, uh, about three feet or so off the ground. Um, <laughs> and yeah, what they can do is the pole has a, almost a wheel in the middle that they can hold on to. And right. then they can... Like by grabbing that wheel and pulling along, they make the outer circle spin. Uh, but of course, what the qu kids quickly figure out is that if one of them drops down into the middle of this thing and grabs one of the spokes and just runs around the pole in a circle, they can get this thing revving up, uh, you know, like 30, 40 revolutions a minute. And uh, yeah, it, it, it invariably ends with some kid flying way off of this thing. Uh, I mean, anytime at the park, uh, anytime I've been at this park and there's been like more than three kids playing with this thing for more than three minutes, somebody has something bleeding, usually a bleeding <laughs> nose. Which is why in our park, they have that boat thing where you just sway the six inches forward and back. That's right. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like playgrounds can't like 
we learned this lesson about playgrounds when my kids were a little bit smaller uh-huh. because we were very careful with them for the most part. And my daughter at that age was a bit of a klutz. Like we'd be with her at a playground. She'd be kind of fine. And then we're like, okay, we're going to go home. And that last trip up the stairs to the slide or something, she'd wipe out and like face plant onto the metal. Right. Yeah. And we'd have a cut to deal with or something. Right. But we went to, she went to kindergarten and they had an outdoor playground. They called it the playscape. And she was always talking about how they would play there and play there. And and this is like a couple of years ago. So the teacher had Instagram and she sent us like some Instagram videos of what the kids are up to. Uh-huh. And I was like, whoa, they can do this. Like they're like monkey grappling across like, you know, a 10 foot distance. Right. <laughs> some of the kids. I was like, there's no way we would have let her do that on her own at home. Yeah. So it kind of got me this idea that you sometimes just have to let it go. If you if you're too hovering around them. When they're in the playground, they yeah. can't they can't figure out what's safe and what's not safe on their own, which in some ways is more important than being told what's safe or not. Yeah, there's definitely some truth in that for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> well, let's take it from the playground then and go into our own backyards. Um, <laughs> you know what uh, what type of things uh, aside from their basketball hoop do your kids do in the backyard? So I find that my children are just happy to be in the backyard. Like if you just leave them alone, they will start to figure out random things. It usually involves like worms and ants and like little critters. So you'll see them like quietly, like looking over at something going on, like some major activity, like there's an ant moving like a piece of bread over to this corner. Right. And, and I, at some point my daughter realized that worms don't bite. So now yeah. she's like on this humanitarian mission. Every time I unearth something, cause like I'm always digging to plant something here or plant something there. Yeah. She'll be like trying to salvage the worms and bring them to safety to the other side of the backyard. So I find like you don't even need to do anything. Once they're in the backyard and you have some vegetation and some nature, then kids will sort it out themselves to a large degree. Yeah, it is. It is impressive. If you just take that initial step of forcing them into the backyard and telling them, like, look, you can't come in, you know, for such and such amount of time, just the things that they'll do with essentially nothing. <laughs> I, you know, like, like, I'll come in, I'll say, like, I was looking out the window the other day and watching my two youngest, uh, five and six right now. Um, they had had an, uh, they had, I'd sent them outside with apple slices. One of them had found a seed in one of the apple slices. And now they were doing this elaborate thing to try to plant this seed into the ground. Uh, they had like got a stick and dug a hole. They'd put the seed in and buried it in the dirt. They had gotten little rocks from the window well and laid a little rock uh, barrier around it to protect it. Yeah. Um, they were asking me, if they came to the door after about 25 minutes, 30 minutes out there, asking me for a flashlight. And I was saying, what do you need a flashlight for? Uh, and actually, I started to look for this flashlight before I stopped. I was like, well, wait a minute. What do you need this for? <laughs> and then they're saying, like, we planted an apple tree and it needs light. <laughs> so I guess that was their plan to, to sit there for another hour just shining a flashlight on the, on the oh, dirt. You gotta, they're going full on marijuana growing in the backyard now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. My young entrepreneurs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I find that every child just loves being in the backyard. Like it, I, it would strike me as being very strange that a child growing up in North America would be like, I don't like outside. Like, I just want to stay in, right? Like, I feel like that would be a very, very strange response. Every child I've ever seen goes bananas when you're like, okay, let's go backyard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yes, but at the same time, it's not like 
kids don't sometimes go through periods of, oh, I don't want to go outside. Like we do get that, especially <laughs> in the current times where they're going out every day, twice a day for homeschool recess. <laughs> well, a lot of times I find kids will say that, but then once you actually get out there, after 10, 10 seconds, they're fine again, right? It is true. You just, yeah. you just have to have that little bit of parental fortitude to push through that initial whining and send them outside. You know, then well, once they're out there. For backyard, I think one thing that would be really good for us to, to get our kids into, and you've already mentioned it, is this whole thing where they plant stuff, right? Like maybe yeah. not the apple seed with the UV light going, but just in general for them to get familiar with, you know, how to plant something, what's involved. Like, you know, your kids already know they need light, they need water, and how painfully slow it takes to grow a tomato. Like yeah. these, these things actually are quite fun for kids and even for adults, for us to be outside and engage with the outside world a bit especially if our regular job is mostly indoors yeah. like it's just a nice thing that you're able to do with your children yeah absolutely absolutely i think we did even mention this in one of our previous podcasts about having a little a garden box or something outside mm -hmm. yeah um, but and it's fun because uh, uh there's like at least a three percent higher chance your kid will eat a vegetable if they if they help to grow it <laughs> That's a stat, by the way. That's a stat. Yeah, that's that's based on extensive research with my four kids. I mean, my other thing that I've discovered through gardening with the children and stuff is that I'm very reluctant to use any sort of chemical sprays, right? Okay. Like even for my grass, because the kids are always out there, right? But then as a result, I have such lousy grass and our, our cherry tree never survives like its leaves are all getting chomped up so we're like we really need to spray this stuff right like in order for any of the produce that we get at the grocery store to exist i'm sure copious amounts of chemicals are being used on them right like it's a lot of effort to grow a little something something with with purely natural ingredients yeah well never mind bugs eating it but like you get rabbits sometimes into the backyard at night. And this strawberry <laughs> that you've been waiting so long to pick, uh, you come back, it's half eaten. Yeah. You know how when you spot like your t that tomato is turning red? Yeah. And it's getting close to the time to pluck it off the line? Yeah. Well, you're not the only pair of eyes in that backyard <laughs> watching that tomato. There's a lot of people watching that tomato. Like it, it drives me crazy when I come outside and I look and that thing's gone. And then I look over on the fence and half a chewed up tomato is sitting there. Yeah. I'm like, if you're going to steal my tomato, at least eat the whole thing. Don't just take two bites and chuck it. I can't use it now. <gasps> oh, man. Uh, my daughter was talking about, uh, I guess, detailed description of a ladybug that I guess she'd spent some time getting acquainted with outside mm. um, and telling me about its legs and all this kind of stuff and, and uh, what it looked like. And, what it, and it just reminded me of when I was a boy, probably around the same age, around five, uh, being outside uh, looking at ants and letting an ant crawl in my hand and crawl in my finger and staring down at its little black ant head and realizing that, oh, if you look really carefully, you can see it has black eyes on top of its black head. And I was like, I think I might be the only person in the world that knows about this. Are you sure you weren't just waiting for that ant to give you like a radioactive bite of some sort? <laughs> if I hold on to this thing just a little bit longer, I'm going to become famous. <laughs> Uh, yes, so many ants in the microwave, uh, <laughs> trying to get them radioactive enough to give me superpowers. So recently, we had this backyard thing happen where, so we put up this basketball net, and uh -huh. so they're playing, but there's a corner of our backyard that my wife and I noticed like recently that we're like, 
there's always these bumblebees hovering near that corner of our backyard. Like it's right near where you right enter the backyard through the gate. So they're just hovering near the gate yeah. and the basketball net's not too far. So whenever the ball goes in that corner, the kids were like wigging out. They're like, oh no, there's the bees. We can't get the ball. We can't get the ball. Then after, then my wife and I were like, well, you know, bees are actually good for the environment, right? Like we need more bees. They're not yeah. bad for you. As long as you don't aggressively like swat at the bee, they're not, they're going to leave you alone, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what we told them. I don't know what will happen if a, bas- a stray basketball hits a bee, if they're going to get angry or not. But then we started to see that there's getting to be more and more bees. Like it became like two bees, four bees. Yeah. Like one bee is fine. One bee is good for the environment. Four bees is a problem. <laughs> Right. And, and then, and then I see them playing. They're still, they're not too phased by the bee. Uh-huh. Right. And I go outside and like, what's going on? They're like, Oh, there's a, there's some bees over there, but it's okay. That's Nanya. I'm like, what? <laughs> they're like, we named the bee. The bee's name is Nanya and he's friendly. Right. Oh, and nice. I look at him and, and he's like this honking big bee. Right. Yeah. And then I went outside. I'm like, I'm like, why? Are, yeah. It looked like it's just hovering there like all day. Like it's a sunny day. They're there at 9 a.m. They're there at 3 p.m. They're there at 6 p.m. Yeah. I'm like, why are they here? And then I spent like two days watching that corner to figure out what was going on. Uh-huh. And that's when I realized that they had, there was some little holes in, in the wooden fence again, back to the fence, yeah. but, but on the inside of the fence, like where one piece of wood lines up next to another piece where I, if I hadn't, looked really careful i would never have seen it uh-huh. but they've been trying to burrow their way into these little holes okay so i mean then i had to seal the holes and like all this stuff right this is our this is the backyard situation so even when you get your kids into your own backyard you have to kind of keep an eye on what's going on out there yeah i've, I've had to remove hornet's nests from my backyard multiple times oh yeah. how did you did you end up calling someone to do it or no 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 you just buy like some spray and blast it <laughs> <laughs> um, and then remove it. Uh, or this year, uh, it was starting to form again in the, the kid's play structure. There's a little like opening in the play structure. And then I just mm. got a hose and just blasted, like blasted in, in one end and out the other end. <laughs> you seem so unfazed by this. Like when we got the Hornets problem last summer, it was like this huge brouhaha. <laughs> like my wife's like calling like 411, like, because one of them was on a tree that that actually is technically owned by the city. Yeah. Right. So then the city sent someone to get it. And then we drove to my mom's house and I look, I'm like, I think there's a hornet's nest in my mom's house. So we ended up having three separate hornet's things in a two week span last year. Oh, one on my tree, one on my basketball net, one at her house. And it was crazy. Well, the, the little ones, like the ones I'm getting are little ones. Like you could hold it in one hand. I don't you think you can hold a hornet's nest in your hand. I mean, after you've killed the hornets, you can. <laughs> Uh, okay, like so the little, little colonies, not not these so gigantic things. I have a story about this. Last summer, before this all happened, uh-huh. one day it was like probably like July. My wife and I, it's like seven thirty at night. We're looking up like at the overhang just above our garage, uh-huh. and we see like a little upside down umbrella shape. Like there's something forming there, and my wife looks at it, and we're like, "Oh, it looks like." I th- we think that's like a moth. Maybe the moth like opened and the butterflies already left. So my wife was like, oh, we missed it. We could have seen a butterfly. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah that's what. It is. So we could have seen a cocoon open and see a butterfly. And then she's like, oh, that's so sad. And then we look more carefully like a minute later. And then we see like this, this wasp like digging its way around that thing. And then we realize, wait a minute, that thing's under construction. It's starting to build the hornet's nest, right? But it just starts off like an upside down umbrella. Yeah. Right? So then we hustle the kids back inside uh-huh. and there's this one like uh, wasp like buzzing around. 
I go into the house. I put on like I put on like a balaclava winter jacket, <laughs> right? My winter gloves. I get out my hockey stick, right? What do you even and, have a balaclava for? <laughs> or, or and I think I think I had sunglasses. This is July, and I'm out there with my hockey stick. I knock down the upside down umbrella and then I Wayne Gretzky slap shot that thing all the way down to the street, right? Those, that wasp didn't know what hit it, right? But I'm pretty sure that's why he set up shop on my basketball net after to, as a payback. <laughs> oh, You haven't heard the last of me. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, last summer was particularly bad for this. I mean, this is one of the things that as a homeowner you start to deal with yeah. and your kids have to be careful with with bees and wasps and stuff around the house. Yeah, and to a lesser, lesser extent is that issue of mosquitoes. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a dangerous and, thing, but it's an annoying thing in the evening. Right, and ticks, that's the other one. Yeah, ticks aren't that much of a backyard problem for most people, um, unless you like happen to live like backing into like a, a seriously wooded area. Right. Um, but yeah, just in terms of one more thing to make you afraid to enjoy the outdoors, <laughs> certainly well, this ticks. That's the problem, though. Like when you watch the news, and I, I don't want to get too medical <laughs> this again. When you watch the news, like you'll see, like, like you know, there's been X number of cases of West Nile virus in Toronto, in Ontario this year. Please make sure that you like wear bug spray, right? Or Lyme disease is on the upswing. We've had a few more reported cases. Like if you start to hear this as a parent, or not even as a parent, just as an individual walking around the city, yeah. you have this feeling that these, like, these kind of illnesses are everywhere they're lurking everywhere right but truly they're not right like they're very they're still fairly rare at the yeah, end of the day that's right i mean i see way more people who have a tick um like who've, who've acquired a tick who, and that is concerning for them but there's mm -hmm. way more of that than there is people who actually get lyme disease you know not right. not to downplay or dismiss lyme disease but just in terms of like the prevalence the the what's the risk i'm taking and even going outside um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I can understand why when you see all these things in the news and whatnot, it does feel like, ah, you know what, maybe obesity isn't that bad, but, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but really like the, the, the risks of just going outside aren't that high. Right. Although I will say that as a person who has consistently been like vaporized by mosquitoes his whole life, like I really hate mosquitoes, right? Like I know I'm not going to get West now likely, yeah. but, but do like my thing that I always tell my patients is do not be outside between like seven o'clock and eight thirty. Like there's that time window in your backyard where the mosquitoes are just gonna feast, right? Yeah. And and then and then the kids get a bunch of mosquito bites, and next thing you know their parents are bringing them to the family doctor. So I gotta be like, look, don't be outside at this time. Like it's just a terrible time, and unfortunately that's when people eat dinner. Like we have a little deck, and you know we have a table there, and we've attempted to to eat dinner there. Yeah. And sometimes we're out there for like one minute, and we see the first mosquito. We're like, oh, mosquitoes out! Oh, quick, everyone grab. <laughs> All the food we're up we're out <laughs> that actually is a potential piece of uh, useful medical advice as a pediatrician <laughs> that i give some parents is that mosquitoes uh, their bites aren't always just these small little red welts these things can sometimes swell up to, to the point where the whole hand looks swollen or a mosquito right. bite on the face can make uh, like an entire eye so swollen that it's sort of swollen shut um, right and you know a lot of people don't realize that or a lot of people feel like well my kid uh, you know, is say four years old. So they've been bitten by mosquitoes before and, it, and that's never been a problem. But sometimes it's just a certain mosquito uh, or a certain strain of mosquito that's prevalent in a certain year. Um, 
that just happens to bite a kid when they're young and you can get these really big reactions. <laughs> so that's just some advice for people is that if you do, if it's mosquito season, your kid's been outside and you do notice that they have a swollen hand or a swollen eye, um, not that you should just ignore it, but it's not a cause for panic. Although I think sometimes that swelling looks so bad that to a parent, it looks like the kid's got full-blown cellulitis. Like I've seen them right. in the clinic. I'm like, wow, this is huge. And and so I don't begrudge parents being very worried about it because it looks crazy when this actually does happen. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's quite reasonable uh, if you see a swelling like this to, to follow up with your doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it really doesn't need to be a, uh, you know, 12 o'clock at night running out of the house in a panic trying to find a doctor <laughs> scenario, uh, especially if it's something where they were kind of fine one day and then suddenly the swelling has rapidly progressed from the point of view that infectious type of swelling like cellulitis, like you're talking about that can form around the eye. That's usually mm-hmm. a little bit more gradual. That's not usually right. they were out. They were fine before dinner and then by right. bedtime or the morning things got swollen. Now, is it true that certain people are just more prone to this? Like, you'll meet the patient who'll be like, every time I get a mosquito bite, it's a bad reaction. And you'll meet someone who's like, I've never really had a mosquito bite before. So is it the person's reacting to it? Or is it just a different bug or a different strain that's, or where they're biting you for longer or something that's causing yeah, it, a bigger reaction? It's a combination of the two factors. Okay. Uh, so uh, one mosquito could bite you and you don't have much of a reaction. A different mosquito could bite you and you have a stronger, like a big reaction. But also mm. some people are definitely more prone to it. And, and oftentimes the people who I see who have the really big reactions, um, like will will find that like further down the road, they also tend to be more li- likely to get hives when they get viral illnesses, stuff like that. <laughs> Interesting. So, I mean, like for me, for mosquitoes, like I'm always hammering this point home to patients yeah. is avoid the times of day when they're out the most, which is from like around dusk avoid having sitting water in your backyard so if you have like a tub of water or the kids fill something with water empty that thing out regularly otherwise mosquitoes can grow there and if they are going to be outside or you have to go through a hike like that then put on some actual like insect repellent with deet because you go to the store and a lot of people are like i don't want to use chemicals so you end up with this like natural menthol nonsense insect repellent (laughs) like none of that stuff works right (laughs) Like, you need the real chemicals for this. This is no joke. Speaking of standing water in your backyard, uh, as we sort of round out the podcast, what's your quick thought on getting a backyard pool? I am against getting a backyard pool because they don't really add value to your home. (laughs) And if you ever move out, you usually have to fill the pool to sell your house. (laughs) Yeah, that uh, I've heard that too, that uh, they don't make it easier to sell your house. I mean, we actually like swimming, but we feel like to own a pool and only, we're, we're, how often are you going to use it? Twice a week? Three times a week? Right? We can just go to the wide and use it. However, that answer has, needs to be revised in the coronavirus time period. <laughs> That's right. Because none of us have swum in, in ages. And I'm looking at my friend that actually has a pool with envy at this point. Yeah. Yeah. My brother, <laughs> my brother has a backyard pool. And in these corona times, he is living it up. He is, uh, they're, they're spending every day in the pool. Uh, they have no yeah. regrets. I mean, my kids are enjoying the hose and the sprinkler that we turn on, but it's not a swimming pool. <laughs> it's right. I don't, I'm not specifically anti-pool, although uh, they are a huge safety like hazard. So mm. if you have a pool, 
you know, I'm a really strong advocate for following, you know, like the, the, the guidelines from the Canadian Pediatric Society, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and make sure that that, that pool really has a, a self-locking fence on all four sides with gates that close on their own that your kids can't just open and get into because that, mm. that, that saves lives. The other, the other thing, the other backyard item that has sort of a bit of a medical spin on it is trampolines. Uh, the Canadian Pediatric Society has a website called Caring for Kids where you can, as a parent, it's sort of information that's sort of meant to be read by parents, not specifically physicians. And on the section on outdoor play, it actually has a, a sort of a question answer. And one of the questions is, uh, are, trampol- are recreational trampolines safe? And the answer actually is written, no, they are not. <laughs> End of story. <laughs> recreational trampolines are not safe. Uh, the wow. Canadian Pediatric Society does not recommend having a backyard trampoline. Full stop. So I mean, I think we've we've actually we've we are near the end of the episode, but we still have more information or more stuff to talk about about outdoor play. But I think we're just going to have to call this one. <laughs> what we're not doing a part three, part four. <laughs> we will find some other way to talk about some of these other topics. I think we've barely yeah. touched on kidnappings. <laughs> I think we need to move it indoors. Because we need to talk about kids being inside, especially during this current coronavirus season and specifically video games, because that's the play that I've been interested in. Yeah, when you said move it indoors during coronavirus, I wasn't sure if we were going to be talking about Netflix, Disney Plus or video (laughs) games. Yeah, video games. I think that's a good topic. All right. So on that note, I think we've covered most of what we wanted to say about being outside. We hope that your children do get a chance to spend time outside, even if you don't, you know, have a park that's super easy to find or it's, it's, I know it's hard to get stuff for kids to do during this virus period, but hopefully we've inspired you to at least get outside and get some fresh air. Or at least send your kids outside for fresh air. <laughs> yeah, <play laughs> So that you often. can have some free time. <laughs> that's right. Play often, play safe. Bye folks. <laughs> All right. Good night. <laughs>